Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply Technical series. For Codish, this is Robert Blumen. I am a DevOps engineer at Salesforce. I have with me today Ev House. Ev is head of technology at ZenHub and is the author of an article called Using Dry, Wet, and Damp Code, which will be the subject of our discussion. Ev, welcome to Codish. Hi, thanks for having me. Ev, I wanted to have you on to talk about the concepts in this article. You present a critique of dry, but before we get to that, I want to understand what it is and why a lot of people believe in it. Will you first tell us what does it stand for and what is the principle that is being advocated? Yeah, sure. So dry stands for don't repeat yourself. It's a pretty simple programming principle, I believe. I think the fundamental idea here is that it's to avoid copying and pasting or duplicating lines of code and instead trying to embrace programming language functions. Uh, loops, while statements, things like that. So let's imagine, for example, we are uh, we want to write some code that converts every letter of the alphabet to its Unicode value. Uh, so you might solve this by you know writing a bunch of if statements, like if the letter is A, do this. If the letter is B, convert it to that. Uh, that would be a very naive way of doing it, right? And so the dry principle essentially tells you that hey, it's probably better if you loop through every character and invoke some kind of converting method. So basically applying the features of the language itself to try and reduce the amount of duplication and make your code easier to to use and to read. Have you ever looked at some code you thought could benefit by applying that principle more strictly than it did? I've written a lot of code uh, that could also use that principle. I, I think it's it's a pretty common principle, and I think that's actually something that I think when most developers write code, it's probably something that they encounter literally every single day. Our natural instinct is to solve things in a very human way, and, and humans naturally have a lot of repetition in the way that we talk, in the way that we problem solve. But you know, repetition is not always the best way for a machine to solve something. When you see some code that is not dry enough, what are some signs of that? So the first sign is probably that it's very difficult to work with. And probably, I would argue, performs pretty poorly. Um, so if you have code that isn't, I suppose, dry enough, uh, it's going to have a lot of repetition in it. So like like that if statement example that I that I provided. And it's probably going to have just a lot of code itself. So it's not very concise. It's not very elegant. Um, and so that's probably a good sign that it could use a little bit of dryness. Now that we've covered what dry is and why people like it, let's look at your critique. Everything is only good up to a point, and you can always have too much of a good thing. In your article, you say that overdoing dry creates code that is difficult to read and understand. What did you mean by that? So uh, although the dry principle, I think, is a, is a sound principle, I, I do think you can take it too far. 
I would argue that I think the drier your code, the harder it is to read for humans. There's a pretty excellent uh, statement that I, I think I first heard on the React podcast, but I don't know where it actually originated. But somebody said, hey, that code was so dry that it chafed. Um, and I actually, I found that to be quite a, a, a memorable way to describe it. So it's, it's code that is so dry that it's actually, it, it's painful. Let me ask you this. Are you familiar with uh, the app Code Wars? Have you heard that one before? No. So Code Wars is a pretty fun website where um, essentially it's for developers. You can log in, create an account, uh, and it's a place where you can solve programming puzzles and challenges. There's a set of questions, and then you can write some code to try and try and solve that particular challenge. One of the things that I really like about that platform is once you've submitted your answer, your correct answer, you get to see the other correct answers from everybody else that's submitted one. And there you can often find the most like beautifully concise, dry examples. You know, somebody always finds the one-liner solution to, to any given programming problem. And although those examples are incredibly dry, you know, they're very concise, they have very little duplication, oftentimes they're incredibly difficult to understand, incredibly difficult to read, and I would argue are, are pretty horrible things to see in like a real production use case. Um, um, so I think dryness needs a bit of balance. It's a bit of a scale. Things can get too dry. Could you explain in more detail why dry makes code harder to read? Yeah, for sure. So so let's take some some example. Let's say, um, you know, we we have a lot of duplication in our code, and now we want to try and apply some of the dry principles, make it a bit more reusable, uh, pull out some pieces that might we might want to share, create some utility methods, for example. So the question becomes, well, where do those utility methods go? Uh, you know, you got to put them somewhere. And what I find is more often than not, those pieces of code tend to go all over the place. You know, you got utility methods in one folder, you got some service definitions over there, configurations probably somewhere else. So it's, you know, it's all nice and dry. There's no repetition anywhere. The logic is very efficient, but now nobody can really figure out how to read the damn thing because it's kind of all over the place. I'm always reminded of, um, you know, you ever see those TV shows where they're trying to like solve a crime of some sort. So they put up all the various little pieces of evidence that they have on a wall. They draw these connecting lines between them, you know, sticky notes everywhere. So I, I find like our code is a little bit like that, where it's like we have to draw these connecting lines between all of the things that relate to each other. And sometimes it would be much more efficient to just put all the things that do the same thing in one place. And so I find that dry code optimizes very well for computers, but it's actually quite terrible for humans that are reading it. Another writer on this topic named Korakov has written something to the effect that once you refactor code into methods, you can no longer understand what the code does by reading one piece of code. You have to understand the entire class in order to understand what one piece of code does. Is that where you're going with your discussion? That's exactly right. I, I think there's something to be said for making your code uh, easy to read. And I would even argue like reading it from top to bottom is actually quite important. Because you have to remember that at the end of the day, you kind of have two consumers for your code, right? The first one is the compiler that's going to read that code. But the other one is all of your programming buddies, all of your colleagues, uh, people that are going to have to maintain that code for however many years to come. So sometimes 
purely optimizing your code to be readable by compute for computers is not always the the best approach. Is there a trade-off between making code easier to read and harder to maintain? I think as with, with anything in programming, there's always trade-offs. Um, and that's probably one of the hardest things that we as engineers have to deal with is finding that right trade-off. It's not always immediately clear, you know, for any given problem that you're trying to solve, any given piece of code that you're writing, which principle is the right one? And in fact, the right answer is it's a little bit of all of these types of things. Now that we've covered dry, there are some other models out there that have their own catchy acronyms. The first one being DAMP. What does that stand for? So DAMP is an interesting one because when, when I started looking into some of these alternatives, um, I actually found two uh, versions of DAMP, um, some of these catchy acronyms. Um, so the first one was uh, descriptive and meaningful phrases. And the other one was don't abstract methods prematurely. Uh, so maybe let's talk about that first one first, the descriptive and meaningful phrases. Go ahead. All right. So so I think for 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 that term, I think the idea is that rather than entirely focusing on the dryness of your code and removing uh, duplication, I think DAMP tries to say that it's also important for your code to be very descriptive. It's almost like you want to over-communicate what your code is doing, almost to favor humans uh, above computers that are going to be reading that code. So examples of how you might apply some you know, dampness to your code, so to speak, would be to write more comments or to make the names of your files and functions, components more descriptive, sometimes using just like longer variable names. And overall, it's, I think it's, it, the idea is to focus less on code reuse and focus more on code maintainability and legibility. All those sound like great ideas, but from what you've said so far, I think you could do all those things and refactor code into methods. Are there places where damp and dry are in conflict with each other and you need to choose damp over dry? Yeah, I think it's possible. So so one example I can think of is uh, a while back I was having a, a lunch with a couple of engineers from Google and and I asked them, "Hey, you know you guys, you guys work on a massive code base at Google. H how do you reuse your code?" Now, you know, let's say you say you got an engineer at from the team at Gmail and they want to build some maybe UI element and then the, the Google Cloud team wants to use it. How do you how do you deal with that? Where do you put it? And the answer that I heard was actually quite surprising. Um, the answer that they said was that they don't. <laughs> they, they don't try to attempt to reuse code, specifically because they're afraid of the cost, right? So they found that the maintenance cost of duplication is actually different than the cost of having to maintain this separate abstraction. And so they tend to rely, apply some of more of some of these, you know, damp principles um, when it becomes clear that, you know, trying to reuse a piece across lots of different teams, but perhaps very different types of problems just doesn't scale. Now, this is, a, this is something that works for Google, you know, at their scale, but it might not always work for you at, at, a, at a different size, maybe at a startup. So you have to kind of use your head and try to understand which principles apply in, in what conditions best. You've raised a different point there, which is that trying to refactor many different pieces of code into a single method that works in all cases could turn out to be harder than everyone having their own slightly different copy of the same code. 
You said there is another meaning of the acronym DAMP. Mm -hmm. Don't abstract methods prematurely. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so I actually like that acronym a little bit better, I think. Um, I've also heard it being called the AHA principle as well, uh, which I think stands for uh, avoid hasty abstractions. So the idea with this one's a little bit different. Um, so this one is less about the emphasis on the clarity of legibility of the code and more about the abstractions that come with trying to re-architect or re-engineer your code. So one of the challenges with dry, right, is that you have to take that duplication and find some kind of logic, find some tools to remove the duplication, try to make your code more reusable. That act of doing that is essentially to create an abstraction around that. And oftentimes what happens is uh, developers are so passionate about looking for the driest way to solve something is that they create these abstractions uh, quite early in the process before they really understand what this code is going to be doing. Um, and so this principle, which is says to don't abstract methods prematurely, essentially warns developers of uh, not trying to do this too soon. Do you advocate starting out by writing code as you need it? And then when you see what the abstractions are, you refactor similar code into methods? Yeah, I would say so. Like one of the one of the core tenets that I that I believe in is start by solving the problem first. Typically, you're you're given some kind of task. You're you're trying to accomplish something. Find whatever it is that you need to do to solve that, and then think about what might be coming down the future and how you can you know potentially make this code a little bit more reusable. If you try to account for all the possible edge cases to begin with. Well, first of all, it's going to take you much longer. <laughs> You're going to spend a lot of time. But the risk, which I think is the, the biggest risk, is that you might create the wrong abstraction. And the wrong abstraction can often be sort of the disease that hurts your code in the long run, because changing that abstraction later on is uh, quite difficult. Do you have any stories or examples where you either got this right or got it wrong? Even I get this wrong all the time. Um, and I don't know of any engineer really that does this perfectly because it's, to be honest with you, this is a hard problem. Um, this is why uh, developers get paid a lot of money to solve these types of problems. So one example that comes to mind is, so I, I tend to work a lot with uh, front-end development code. So I, I currently work at a company called ZenHub where we build like a task and project management platform for GitHub. So it's like, it's a UI with a lot of dense features. There's like a lot of buttons, a lot of elements, drag and drop, and that sort of thing. And one of the things that we're considering doing at the moment is to do a bit of a UI pass to try and think, of how can we create better standard components for all of our UI elements? A big part of that is probably we're going to need to build a new button, right? Buttons are all over our, our, our interface. And so what, what do buttons need? They need to support different colors, probably different sizes, um, some buttons are going to have icons. Some of them are not going to have icons. Some of them are going to have text. Some of them are not going to have text. It'd be great if the button could maybe maybe have a drop-down menu. Maybe we might want to group buttons together so they can create toolbars. We also don't want to forget about accessibility and keyboard controls. Anyway, so you can see that the list of these features for just even a simple button can get quite big. And so if you don't adhere to this kind of principle of avoiding your, you know, your hasty abstractions, you might 
tend to want to solve all of these problems right from the get-go. And a lot of people do. A lot of people try to build you know, the almighty button that supports all the possible conditions. And they typically find that it becomes very difficult to maintain. What's a better way to handle that? So I think it depends. Um, so sometimes duplication is the right answer to do that. Maybe instead of you know the one almighty button, maybe you have three different buttons depending on particular use cases of each one. Sometimes it's to do the exact opposite. Sometimes you do have to pay the price of creating something that you know might account for all the edge cases, but then you have to be mindful of the fact that hey, you know maybe for simple examples this might be difficult to use. So maybe you emphasize a little bit more on the documentation side of that. So I, I think this is something that developers almost have to play with and you have to use it in the real world to find out what works for you and what works for your team and for that use case. Typically, what I would recommend though is start simple, you know, get something into the hands of your users as quickly as possible, solve a specific problem that you have, and only once new challenges appear, start to think about how you can extend the functionality that you have. Well, I've been reading about this issue of there's a idea in the community people are saying production code dryness test code damp can you explain what what are people thinking why they say that and and what's your view so yeah i think there's probably some truth here um i think it makes sense for your test should not be dry so in the sense that tests should have some duplication inside of them so why you know, what are unit tests typically used for, right? They're used to, to catch bugs and issues, but when those issues arise, somebody has to determine what went wrong, right? So somebody's going to read that test and try to understand what was it testing and why did it fail? So the readability aspect of the test code is actually quite important because somebody needs to quickly jump to that line of code, understand what that test was doing and go, ah, okay, I understand why it failed. So if your test code has a lot of abstractions, if it's got like using utility methods, if you're trying to do clever things in your test code, you're wasting a lot of time potentially uh, for developers that might want to quickly understand what went wrong. So I think that's probably where that concept came from. Okay, let's move on. The other alternative principle with a catchy acronym is WET. What is that about? So I think wet's a bit of a silly concept, to be honest with you. I think probably somebody was looking for an acronym uh, that was competing directly with dry. But so wet stands for uh, write everything twice. And I, and I think this is essentially just a little bit of what we were talking about. It's the idea that, hey, sometimes duplication is actually better, like in the case of maybe unit tests. So in, in your article, you said you agree with this other writer who says we should stop obsessing about writing clean code. What do you mean by that? So I think in general, a lot of people focus on this concept of clean code, which I would say means different things to different people, first of all. But I think generally people are looking for, you know, some core principles that they could drive their programming with, something that would lead to code that's highly performant, that's maintainable, that's reusable, that's easy to read, all of these good things that we tend to strive for. But I think that obsession about trying to almost like over-engineer, overthink about your own code can tend to result in you writing bad code as a result of that. It's, it's a bit of a catch-22, so to speak. So I do think that there are a few good principles um, that I would recommend. So first of all, 
write code that works first. So like focus on just solving the problem above all else. Once you've got that, then maybe focus on code that's easy to read. And that's actually quite quite a hard thing to do because sometimes you know when you write code, it's always going to be easy to read for you. You're, you're the person who wrote it. And so this is where I think code reviews uh, play a really important role where, where you get somebody else to read your code and they can really help uh, you understand maybe you're Maybe your naming isn't clear. Maybe the algorithms that you wrote are too tricky or too confusing. Maybe your code just is good, but it maybe lacks a little bit of comments to understand what it's doing. Or maybe if your code is too dry, you know, maybe it jumps around too much. You have to kind of move from file to file. So those are probably some, some good principles to start with. Great. Well, I think that wraps up what I wanted to talk about. Are there any final lessons or wisdom about when to apply these different principles that you'd like the listeners to take away? One of the principles that I really like is to write code that's easy to delete, which is actually something quite difficult to think about because, well, what does that mean? And I think some of these principles that we talked about today, you know, dry code, wet code, damp code, uh, they can all be used as tools in your toolbox as a developer to help you in this effort. So if you have, you know, maybe too much repetition, apply a little bit of dryness. If you have not enough repetition, <laughs> apply a little bit of wetness. If your abstractions are too complex, you can simplify them with some principles from DAMP. So overall, I think all of these kind of lessons and all of these principles, once they come together, can play a really important role in making you a better developer. Sure. And in the end, we're all trying to create business value for our organizations, and that's a multifaceted thing. Includes not only products that work, but uh, have a reasonable cost to maintain the products over time. Yeah, I think a lot of people just in general forget about the fact that programming is a collaborative task. Um, it's very rare that you have one engineer that writes everything, right? You, you, you do it with a team. And so the fact that other people are going to be reading your code is inevitable. And so you should spend at least some of your effort, some of your time trying to understand the importance of code readability. And this is where some of these tools can, can help you. Ev, I'm going to link to your Medium article in the show notes. Where can people find you if they'd like to see what you're up to? Yeah, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, Ev House, and we can have a conversation there. Ev, thank you for speaking to Codish. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.